Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we're talking about your 6-6 six and six Detroit Pistons. Ben, Sean, and I talk about the Pistons' underperforming, yet still somehow 10th in defensive rating defense, Reggie Bullock and Langston Galloway finally starting the hit shots, and how mortal Blake Griffin has looked in the last couple games. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Uh, Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what uh, y'all are talking about. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which is something you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I am pleased today to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Doing good. Uh, You know, for the listeners, we're recording this about an hour after the Charlotte game wrapped, which was was ugly and frustrating. So uh, I'm searching for positivity, which is why I'm glad we have another guest that Laz is about to introduce, who's been a great balance to my pessimism over the years. Uh, he sounded pretty disappointed on Twitter with the with the team's effort today. It's it's Sean Cor, the head honcho at a DBB. What's up, Sean? Uh, it's great, but Ben, I got some bad news for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sean was. Uh, I have not been very impressed with this team so far this year, and this was certainly not a very impressive game. So, uh, but Reggie Bullock is back, so let's start there. All right, no. So we're gonna we're gonna recap the whole week. Uh, this was an average week. It went two and two. They lost at home in overtime to Miami. Wins on the road at Orlando and Atlanta. And then, of course, the loss today at, uh, at home against Charlotte, 113 to 103. The biggest thing, I guess you could say, is the the starting lineup change has spurred a lot of the the offense. Um, in in the Atlanta game in particular, the offense functioned exactly as I imagined it would in my wildest dreams with Glenn Robinson, the third and Reggie Bullock on the court together uh, surrounding the other three starters. But uh, at the same time, like that's moved Stanley Johnson to the bench. He's looked uh, somewhat better on offense as a result, but you know, and also you can attribute some of that to the schedule. Um, Miami has Miami is a below average team right now with the potential to be better at Orlando's a bad team. Atlanta is a bad team, but better than you think they are. And Charlotte is an average team. And so Ben, I guess the, the first thing I want to ask you is, uh, where, so where are you on this new look starting lineup? I like the new lineup. Um, I think it does good things for both players who, who got changed, right? So, for GR3, it gives him the opportunity to be like the third or fourth guy, right? So he's he's able to space the floor. And I think what we haven't seen yet, except in, in little flashes, is I think he does move well without the ball, particularly on the baseline. One of his staples in college was the baseline alley-oop. Um, he, he's got the hops for it to do it in the NBA. 
I forget which game it was this week where we did see the alley-oop. It might have been Atlanta. Um, there's an opportunity for him to get involved moving without the ball. Um, so it's good for him. It gives him a, a, a chance to play to his strengths. Um, defensively, as you've observed, he gets caught ball watching. I think that's still the case. That's his long-term uh, improvement that, that he needs on that side of the ball. For Stanley, though, I, I particularly like it for Stanley. Uh, the reason why is because I think in the second unit, he doesn't have to, to be the space the floor guy, right? So in the starting lineup, he has to at least be out on the perimeter because a Blake Griffin offense just doesn't work if you have a three-man who, who can't do that. Um, in the second unit, Stanley can sort of mostly take those threes only when he's wide open. But I think more importantly, it gives him a chance to do something with the ball in his hands, which is, in my opinion, where he's better. Um, he's had some really nice moves to the basket over the past several games. Uh, some awkward lack of finishing here and there. Um but hopefully that changes with, with comfort. Uh, but I like it. I, I think it makes sense for him. And then I think also for Stanley, there's opportunities to cross match him and, or use him as the small ball four. Uh, and I think that gives his quickness an opportunity to shine, especially in transition and, and with the ball in his hands. Um, and he's strong enough to defend most, most reserve power forwards and quick enough to defend most reserve threes. So I think it's a natural fit for him. And I think also, I would say just in terms of his demeanor, in terms of his energy, um, it certainly hasn't affected him in a negative way, at least that I've seen. He seems to be playing hard. He seems to be remaining positive. Uh, and he's put put together a couple a couple pretty decent showings. Sean, what have uh, your impressions been of the starting lineup over the whole of the week? Well, the starters look pretty similar to what it looked like before. Glenn Robinson's a slightly better three-point shooter he's knocking a couple of them down so that's good but I think the bigger change has been sort of implied or or talked about was Stanley Johnson's effectiveness off the bench maybe some of it is kind of luck but I am kind of interested to see how he functions in more of that reserve power forward role Uh, one of the observations we've made about Stanley for years is he's sort of a B B minus talent in just about every facet of the game and it's really hard to be effective when you don't excel at any one thing. He has ball handling skills, but we've seen over the years he can really struggle when he overdoes it as a ball handler. But as a power forward, when his guy's probably playing off of him more, it's given him a lot more room to go. And uh, he's finding ways to the basket. And frankly, at this point, the basket area is pretty much where his range lives. And so if he can find a way to cut to the hoop, he can be effective and still be a plus defender for the Pistons, which is obviously still very important. So I'm hoping somewhat long-term for this season that Stanley can be a positive presence as a backup power forward in a small lineup for the Pistons. So one thing that I've observed is that the starting lineup, the numbers, the defensive numbers uh, are not, they not aren't as bad as I think you would expect with without Stanley in the lineup. I think that was the expectation, right? You leave, you take Stanley out of the lineup, the defense gets worse, but the offense gets better. Um, the offense has gotten pretty good, and that's been helped a lot more by Reggie, Reggie Bullock hitting shots, I think. But the defense has not dropped as far as I think uh, people thought it would. Um, a lot of that can be attributed to the scheme in a weird way the scheme was not very good today against charlotte i will say that right now we're going to get to that 
but uh but the scheme as a whole they've gotten more comfortable with it i think and that has helped and it helps hide some of the weaknesses of a glenn robinson and of reggie bullock uh, on the wings i will say but um blake has looked more uh he's you would hope that blake would be more effective with more spacing around him but as we saw in the miami game in particular and in today's game uh, teams are still throwing one and two guys at him uh, despite the fact that he's you know ostensibly surrounded by shooters now and so you would expect the pistons to be able to punish teams more for doing that but um aside from like reggie bullock today they really haven't been able to and like that's frustrating and i hope that that continues in the future um but the guys have to make their open looks around blake we we should actually talk about blake um today so the question that's been on ben's mind um prior to this week was like what does the offense look like when blake griffin isn't on the floor and we got a really good answer to that question in the overtime game against miami when blake you know fouled out and we saw a return to the Reggie Jackson under drum and pick and roll surrounded by shooters uh, offense that uh, the Pistons had run, you know, before he had arrived. And it looked it looked pretty good. It looked fine. The The offense was not the reason why they lost that Miami game. Just like the offense was OK. The offense was kind of reason the reason they lost today, but uh, it was not the not the full reason. And so uh, Ben now that we have kind of an answer for how the offense can function with Blake, like not absorbing so, so heavy a load um, does that, does the answer that we've gotten with, uh, with Reggie Jackson kind of taking the, to help the helm, does that uh, encourage you? Does that, uh, I know that doesn't surprise you, but like, is that sustainable in your mind? Is that something that can continue? Well, I hope so. I mean, the pick and roll, like fundamentally, is like one of the very first things you learn in basketball. So if you've ever if you've ever gone and played a pickup game at any YMCA anywhere in the United States of America, you've run a pick and roll. Uh, it's not a hard thing to do, but it can be a hard thing to do really well, especially after the first pass out of the pick and roll. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, what I would like to see is, yes, that be the plan B uh, when Blake is in foul trouble and or is is resting. Um I think Blake has looked pretty human the last week. Um, his game against Atlanta was was sensational, not because he scored a lot, but because he facilitated well. But he really looked pretty human. Um, so what I'd like to see is maybe even finding ways to incorporate the pick and roll into the offense when Blake is on the floor. Uh, and maybe not even necessarily with Blake involved in that pick and roll. Um, because I, I do think, in spite of the fact that they're they're getting a lot of open threes, fundamentally it's a pretty easy offense to guard right now you just throw got two guys at blake and you just hope people don't make their shots um but yes i think the return of the pick and roll is a good thing i'd like to see it a little bit more uh because it's a very different look as we've talked about before especially after the first pass that causes the defenses to have to play in a very very different way than they do uh when it's blake griffin kind of in the high post or the low post so more of that, please. Absolutely. Yeah, I noticed that they ran one of those against Miami. They ran a, they had Blake on the weak side, and they ran in a Reggie Jackson under jump and pick and roll on the strong side. And Reggie like kicked it out to Blake for a three. It's like that was yeah, that's yeah. easy. Like why haven't I seen that more often? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Blake off the ball is is an untapped resource for sure, and I think Reggie and Andre. I think that pick and roll is still lethal enough that 
teams could maybe lose Blake a little bit and or lose GR3 a little bit. So there's, I think there's opportunities there. So Sean, you were uh, uniquely frustrated, I think, with Reggie Jackson uh, today. And so I guess how, aside from today, like how has your feelings been about him operating as, as in the pick and roll as, as an uh, offensive like key uh, in, in this week and, and moving forward? Well, I think that his pick and roll abilities are his best abilities. Uh, they don't really use that a lot in Detroit. They probably should do it more. I think that's mostly a byproduct, not to get off Reggie too much, but one of the things I see is just the team is too entranced by the ability of switching Blake onto a point guard defender and mm, really yeah. slows down the offense. And then it easily draws the double teams just because that's, you know, Blake is more of a methodical player. And so it has been said, it, it makes the offense just too easy to guard right now. So I wish they would not succumb to that urge so much and try and do some different things on offense. Uh, what I see from Reggie mostly right now is just him playing off the ball uh and he is always going to be of limited effectiveness off the ball because he doesn't move very well. He kind of plants himself in a particular spot. He has the ability to knock down an open shot, which is always appreciated. But other than that, he doesn't really provide much off the ball as a mover or a cutter or anything like that. So, I mean, I'm kind of with Reggie where... I've been for a while, which is I don't know that he even has a role on this team long term. And it's just that uh, they can't really get rid of him or stop playing him because of depth issues and because his contract would be pretty untradeable. So he's kind of just a square peg in a round hole right now. And my concern would be that uh, he is a player that gets frustrated and uh, shows his frustrations both on his face and in his play. And if it gets too, uh, if that exacerbates itself, it could get pretty ugly. So Sean, everything you just said is like a hundred percent true and I'm not going to dispute it, but if that's the case, why do you want to trade Reggie Jackson for John wall? Because all of those mostly, things are... That was mostly a joke, of course. I, I suggested that on Twitter when I was watching uh, Reggie Jackson absolutely get obliterated on every screen against Charlotte. Uh, Reggie, particularly, when I get most frustrated with Reggie, it's he basically has games where he chooses to not fight at all through a screen, and it drives me absolutely bonkers. Uh, the Charlotte game was one of those nights. Uh, but... In a more serious fashion, for two-plus years now, it's been pretty evident that Detroit needs a better long-term answer at point guard. Uh, I think Blake Griffin gets you a little bit of the way there, but uh, they need better defense from their point guard and their center positions, and uh, they're not getting it right now, which is why this team is pretty mediocre. Okay, so we're going to scroll all the way to the bottom, we're going to start talking about the defense because you're right, Sean, in that uh, Reggie dying on screens was a large part of the reason why uh, the Charlotte Hornets were able to get the looks that they wanted to get uh, in the second half, especially. But those are, in fact, the looks that 
they uh, that that they want, right? Kemba shot 17 times and only shot five threes. Um, Tony Parker lives in the mid range. He made a couple threes, but like he lives in the mid range. That's where he's at. Those are the two guys that really dissected the Pistons, but they did so uh, in the spaces where the Pistons are willing to seed open shots. And so I was frustrated with Dwayne Casey's defense today. Um, I've expressed frustration with the Casey's defense in the past. Um, as the team has gotten more familiar with the scheme, like I said earlier, they've been better with it. But today, against a point guard like Kemba, uh, who is like as as lethal as Kemba has been from this season and in the past, like you you can't give that guy open eighteen footers, and if you do, he'll kill you. And that's what happened today. And so, and they switched it up a little bit in the second half. Um, you started to see Andre showing a little bit harder on on the pick and rolls, but that led to, but that led to breakdowns elsewhere because you end up with like Reggie Bullock helping in the paint on 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 Cody Zeller, and like that's not going to work. And you ended up with uh, guys like Jeremy Lamb getting open threes because you can move because if you have a center who can move the ball, um, you'll you can pry the defense defense open and get shots that way. And so like that didn't work, and so I don't know. I'm just it starts with a it starts with better defense at the point of attack from Reggie Jackson but the scheme was not doing him any favors either and i, I i'm just struggling to like come up with something that could be that could be like implemented that would also like be as effective do you know you know what i'm talking about ben like something that something that could um both like slow opposing point guards and you know offer enough help and recovery uh, behind you know the initial action to uh to stymie like open shots and looks at the rim i know what you mean i don't know if there's a scheme that does it though i mean because we've been saying <laughs> i mean short of reggie's like you know his first short chunk with the pistons there was like that nine grade stretch where everything was terrible then there was that short stretch that was just absolutely amazing every other chunk of time that we've analyzed reggie jackson the shortcoming has always been number one defense generally number one a defense in the pick and roll so even with what in my opinion is probably a superior defensive coach in Stan Van Gundy I can't ever say that Reggie got it right defensively so is this a scheme scheme question or is it a personnel question that that's hard for me because it feels more like a personnel question than a scheme question to me I mean the the weakness of the Detroit Pistons defense for the past several years, has been the point of attack. It's true for Reggie, and it's true for Ish. Um, and look, with what Reggie's been through in terms of his uh, his injury history, where he's getting at in terms of his age, I guess I sort of start to feel skeptical that it's you know a, a new trick that an older dog can learn. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I just it's just, and the other thing is right that Kemba's really good, and Kemba's going to get his no matter who yes. you put on him. But at the same time, you don't want to make his job any easier than it has to be. And and the scheme did that today, for the first half at least. Well, that's true. And I, I think, you know, the, if there was a defensive scheme today, and it's for me it was hard to determine if there was, but let's say you're 100% correct, right? And it was to seed the mid-range and the, the sort of contested threes. 
if you're seeding the mid-range to Tony Parker, like you're giving him exactly what he wants. And Kemba to an extent too. Like if he can take an, a, a wide open 17-foot pull-up jump shot, like that's a high percentage look for Kemba Walker, right? Because in theory, you know, the mid-range jumper is the one you want to give up, but you don't want them to be wide open in rhythm shots. And uh, look, I said this last week, the Pistons backcourt was going to struggle against this team. Like Kemba and Tony Parker are just... 36 year old Tony Parker looked like he had died and been resurrected, right? Like he was a rookie just shredding the Pistons defense. So if it was the scheme to give up those shots, why in the world are you coming up with a scheme that gives these guys exactly the kind of shots they would take if you'd let them? And I understand that like, you don't want to change your scheme night to night based on uh, personnel. You don't have the time to do that in the NBA. You want to establish a set of practices that work no matter what. You save some 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 of that stuff for the playoffs to throw the when you play the same team, you know, four times in five days or whatever. You can throw a different look at them, but at the same time, like, man, it's just really rough watching Kemba Walker and thirty eight year old Tony Parker just murder you for an hour. That was fun. The one thing I would say uh, that it's not it's not the scheme; it is the personnel, at least against the Hornets, uh, was that there is no scheme that tells you to not only get obliterated by a screen, but then loop around so you're four foot behind the three-point line because then you're not even guarding another player. And you have basically a four-on-five defense with Reggie doing absolutely nothing, and you have four guys rotating like mad. It wasn't just that Kemba scored. It's that he could find so many open shooters, open cutters, because Reggie's defense was just absolutely deforming what Detroit could even intend to do. It was just a horrific display t- tonight against Charlotte. Oh, and we've said all this, right? And I, I checked. I don't know if NBA.com updates everything like immediately or whatever, but the Pistons are 10th in defensive rating right now. So they're a top 10 defense, despite... Which is just yeah, crazy. I think that has more to do with their, their schedule than anything else. I mean, yeah, we can see all the kinds of things that are potential flaws in this defense and it just doesn't make a lot of intuitive sense right now what they're trying to do i mean there's just not a lot of plus defenders and they're trying a very seemingly very aggressive defense and so sometimes sometimes it's going to work but a lot of times they're going to really struggle as they trot out the you know reggie jackson's langston galloway's and stuff like that so I mean, I'll take a top 10 v- defense any day of the week, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that kind of uh, adjusts over time. Well, and then furthermore, the defense gets boosted. So it, the defensive numbers look better than it does to the eyes because the the Pistons' defensive rebounding is so good. The one thing they do well is limit teams to one shot. So you can play a perfect defense, defensive possession, and if you give up a lot of offensive rebounds, you undercut yourself. The Pistons are sort of the opposite of that. They make lots of defensive mistakes, but then when team miss a team misses good shots that the Pistons have sacrificed, the Pistons do a good job of closing out the possession because they have you know two freak rebounders. In well, the this is court. just defensive rating on NBA.com is just uh, points allowed per 100 possessions, more or less. And right. so, right. If yes, I guess if you're cutting down on uh, offensive rebounds, then you're cutting down on the number of possessions, but. You know, you'd only cut down the number of plays. 
this so this gets confusing because a lot of the the people who talk about this on TV a lot get this wrong. A possession doesn't end until one team takes possession from the other. So you can get five shots on one possession. So you can get five separate plays on one possession. So and this gets particularly confusing if you look at something like Synergy because they do they have this stat that's PPP. A lot of people think that stands for points per possession, but it's actually points per play. And you can end up with multiple plays in one possession because you can end up with, you know, three de- defensive rebounds and four shot attempts. So you get four separate plays. So D rating does get impacted by a really good defensive rebounding team because every time you get a rebound, you're ending the possession. Hmm. Sorry if that gets no. Crazy I mean, I think that's but... useful information for myself and our audience because I, I, I was not sure. Yeah, it's one of the reasons that Drummond gets. Well, that's like yeah, that's basketball, the basketball reference in particular. Stuff, right? They have yeah, a difference. Not, yeah, yeah. Fundamentally, though, it, the calculations are not that different. So, the defensive rebound gets attributed slightly different to the team versus the player. But the way that a possession is handled is still fundamentally okay. the same way. That makes sense. I mean, and you so know, speaking of rebounding, sorry, I, I just wanted to add one thing about Stanley Johnson. I could be totally wrong on this, but this is what the eye test tells me. I wonder what your impressions are. But as a bench player, power forward, he seems to be a really strong rebounder, which is something you yeah, think you would be giving up playing him at power forward. But I've been really impressed with his ability to go attack the rim and, and get a rebound and then push the ball up the floor. I think that's another reason why his play has improved off the bench. I agree. It's a good observation. It's um, To me, it's like it's almost like he was always supposed to be a four, and we made a mistake playing him at the, the three because his game just fits better at the, at the four. What about when we played him at shooting guard? Yeah, that was immediately a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> what about when we played him at point guard his rookie preseason does anyone remember far that far back because i definitely we do. should have tried him at center at least once in this in this grand <laughs> experiment there's still time we should just treat him like he's lebron james because clearly he's on that trajectory <laughs> just delayed much much delayed <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. all right let's talk about the one actual good thing that i want to talk about uh, which is that reggie Ball- bullock like has arisen and can actually hit shots now um, he had a career high 23 points tonight against Charlotte, six of nine from three. Um, before that, he had the Atlanta game where you would think it was what four of eight, four of nine, something like that. Um, and that I think you can attribute a lot of the offensive uh improvement over the last four games into the fact that like Reggie Bullock is available and hitting shots. It, it's been great to see, it's sorely needed. Um, you see the return of some of those Blake Reggie uh, DHO magic that we saw at, in the second half of last year. Um, I do. I don't love like relying as much on Reggie Bullock as this team does, but uh, as long as he continues to shoot, Ben, um, it, it's going to work. So why not keep writing it? Yeah, I agree. Um you know, the the bright spot of the past several games is Reggie Bullock shooting the ball better. Um, one thing to note, though, this isn't going to be obvious when you're watching the game, but when you look at the box scores after the fact, the Pistons are shooting like 30 to 45% of their shot attempts are three-point shots right now. Um, I know Casey wanted to up the three-point shot attempts. I'm not sure that as many as we're taking right now as a team is the right amount. 
I'm all for Reggie Bullock taking eight, nine, ten threes a game when he's shooting 40%, because that's all positive. Those are all wins when he's shooting 40% from the field. Um, but just if you look at the last week's box scores, you're going to see like a third to 45%, like I said, of the three point of the shot attempts in total are, are three point shots. And the Pistons have not shot the ball particularly well as a team from deep. If you exclude Reggie Bullock from those numbers, I didn't do the math, but if you do it, it's going to be atrocious. I mean, the Pistons are going to be shooting probably sub 20% if you take Reggie Bullock out of the equation from deep. So in the shot, in the games where they're going in, like Atlanta, I mean, making three-point attempts, making three-point shots co- covers a multitude of sins. When those shots go in and you're taking 40 a game, you're going to win, and it looks it looks great. Um, we've talked about defense. I think one of the the negatives of being a three-point centric offense is that three-point misses tend to generate log and rebounds, which tend to turn into transition opportunities. So. I have, again, haven't looked at the numbers on this, but another thing that would be worth looking at is um, when the Pistons are missing a lot of their three-point attempts, what does the transition opportunities and transition success rate look like for opponents? Because uh, you, you could potentially be hurting your defense, you know, by, by missing a lot of three-point shots. Anyway, I turned a positive into a negative. I apologize about that. Reggie Bullock, welcome back. It's good to have you um, at the team level. Once we get Kennard back, I think the trick for Casey is going to be um, and I don't know, maybe this is pure luck. Maybe there's some strategy he can tap into. How do you get the right guys on the floor when they're shooting the ball well so that you can sort of mitigate going 25% one night to 45% the next night? Um, because when you shoot the ball this much from deep, you're going to lose a lot of games if you're only shooting 25%. So it, there's an easy answer to how you reintegrate Luke Kennard, right? It's you just cut all of the Jose Calderon, Bruce Brown minutes. No, I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> That's true. It's true. Yeah, it's true. I think too, like, you know, the thing about Stan Van Gundy that irritated me maybe the most about his offense was he was like a paint by the numbers sort of coach. Like it was, he would develop a scheme ahead of time. He would develop a rotation ahead of time. And then he would stick to that regardless of how people were playing, except for a couple guys who are on short leashes. I'd like to see Casey be more flexible. So when Galloway has it going, he gets 28 minutes. When Kennard has it going, he gets to 28 minutes. Do you know what I'm saying? Because if you're too rigid when you have guys who aren't shooting the ball well and you have guys who are shooting the ball well and you don't manage that right, you can make the offense look a lot worse than it needs to. Sean, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say I'm, I'd am i be excited for Luke Kennard to join this sort of three-point shooting small ball guard rotation, except for the fact that Casey does seem – to love legitimately having two point guards on the floor a lot. And so then you're really cutting minutes between Bullock, Kennard, Galloway, because it just seems like he really wants Ish and, and Jackson or Ish and Calderon or Jackson and Calderon on the floor a lot. So I'll, I'll be curious once Kennard is healthy, how he carves in minutes uh, in this current rotation. So my thing with that, Sean was that Luke was always a better than advertised ball handler and passer. And so that he should be allowed to like function as a secondary point guard in, in the ways that, uh, you know, Casey seems interested in having multiple point guards on the floor. If you remember, like they wanted to try him at point guard during summer league because they wanted him to get experience with the ball in his hands, yada, yada. But, um, so like I see no problem with eliminating Jose Calderon and Bruce Brown and you know whoever else from the rotation 
and just like letting Luke run those same sets because I there's nothing Jose Calderon can do that Luke Kennard like can't. I I feel pretty I feel pretty strongly about saying that. Well, at this point, there might just be nothing Jose Calderon can do. <laughs> um, you should have heard the Charlotte announcers after there was a fourth quarter timeout, and, and then uh, Calderon came down. They ran a, they ran a play for Jose to shoot a three. He missed. Andre gets the offensive rebound. Kicks it back out to Jose. He shoots another three, misses. Charlotte gets the rebound, and the Charlotte announcers go. It's like that's the play Casey like drew up out of a timeout. Like Jose Calderon, two threes in a row. Like really, that's what we're going with. Like that's how bad it was today. That's his skill. He just needs to hit him, kind of like everybody else on this roster. Yeah, I will say. But, uh, no good. Oh, sorry. One thing I was going to say about this sort of heavy reliance on three point shooting. If we think about what the shot spectrum really is from Casey, he talked about, yes, three-point shooting, emphasis on threes, but he also talked about an emphasis on trying to get shots at the rim, which is, of course, smart and a good idea. But I think this plays into that Blake-centric offense where they're switching them onto point guards a lot. It's really limiting the ability of anybody but Blake to get to the rim. And so when they double him, the only thing available right now is three-point shots. Uh, so I, again, would wish that the team would kind of vary the offense a little bit and uh, do more things that would allow for uh, people to penetrate and get to the rim other than just kind of those very slow-developing switches and pick-and-rolls with Blake. Well, yes, well, 100 who, times Who yes. else on the roster has the ability besides like Reggie and to a lesser extent ish to like break down a defense and get to the rim without like the aid of a screen, right? Like who, who else, if you kick it out to them can get like the advantage on a guy and get all the way to the rim. Like Glenn can do that a little bit and um, he's working on his finishing. You can see he still wants to take off from two feet a lot of the time. Um, we saw today, actually, I noticed he, he like slowed, he slowed down his gather to be able to take off of one foot and uh, ended up, I think, farther away from the rim than he'd, than he'd like to be. But like Reggie Bullock isn't breaking dudes down off the dribble, right? Like Glenn Robinson third isn't breaking dudes down off the dribble. Stanley Johnson gets one, like one weird behind the back thing every week or so. But like, he's also not breaking dudes down off the dribble. Langston Galloway has has attempted to like start attacking more. And like, I like that, <laughs> but like that's, this is, that's a personnel thing, right? Like I, I'm not comfortable with Reggie Bullock, like in isolation, like trying to get all the way to the rim. So like, that's where I, that's a personnel thing that I'm fine with. If the, the way this team is constructed, the shot spectrum dictates, we shoot a lot of threes. Like that's fine. That's the way this team is built. Well, I mean, they can't hit threes either, but they're still taking them. So you might as well see if they can get to the rim and get fouled. Uh, and I think I think my bigger issue is just that these pick and rolls they're running don't have any intention other than to make the switch happen and then dump the ball to Blake in the post. That's the only action outcome that they want. And so there is no opportunity to do anything else to, to get cutters or anything like that. They're just resetting the offense after a switch. And then, you know, they're almost out of time or they don't have much to do. So I just wish there was more things available, more things happening in the offense when Blake is on the floor. Yeah, and my thought immediately 
um, Laz, as you were making what I think is a fair point. There aren't a lot of guys who individually can put the ball on the floor and get to the rim. I think the philosophical basketball question I would pose if I were on the coaching staff is what are the other ways that we can get shots at the rim? It doesn't have to be an individual dribbling. It can be, uh, as I mentioned, I think GR3 can, he's a two foot jumper. You're right. That works really well for alley-oops. There could be, there could be ways to get backdoor looks, especially if you put them on the weak side and you've got Blake in the high post. I think when Kennard gets healthy, He's very good at moving without the ball. You mentioned his ability as a secondary ball handler. I really like Luke having maybe two to three dribbles after catching the ball on the move. I think he can be a very good facilitator that way. And you could end up with shots at least closer to the rim uh, through that. And then I think, you know, you're right. Reggie's probably the only other guy who gets to the rim on his own consistently. But um, there there are ways to get player movement um, that can generate more than just, you know, spot up threes in the corner that I, I think really we haven't seen at all. I mean, we saw glimpses of that last year with mostly the same personnel, um, especially over the first 25 games. I think I think there's some of that potential there in, in this group of guys as well. I don't disagree with that, but I think that uh, having another having more primary shot creation is just such a net benefit because that's so difficult for a defense to take away um, that I'd, I'd still just struggle more with the personnel being unable to, to do things. The, the limitations of the personnel are more important to me than I guess the, the, the artificial limitations of the offensive scheme. But I see your point. It's a good, it's a good point. I mean, I think that what's unspoken or, you know, is never going to be admitted by Dwayne Casey and his staff or anyone else in the new front office is just that they inherited a lot of players that don't play the kind of ball the way they want to design an offense. So this is a year where they're just going to kind of do their best to make it work playing the way they want with these players. And then maybe there's possibilities to upgrade. Maybe there isn't, but uh, I mean, (laughs) They inherited a bunch of poor three-point shooters, and they're telling them to just, you know, hoist away from deep because that's the best shot, and and they'll just do what they can to make it work. It's not like they are specifically trying to cater their offense to all of these weird mis- mishmash parts to to kind of make everything fit together because it just it's not going to. This is a dysfunctional type of offensive talent on the Pistons roster right now. So this raises an interesting question for me, and this gets bigger picture than anything that's happening on the court. Um, let's say that that is the case, Sean, that um, they essentially inherited a group of guys that don't play basketball the way they would want to in a perfect world. My question is, what's the window look like with Blake Griffin in his prime? And, and do you have enough time with Blake Griffin in his prime to build that sort of a roster? And like I take a skeptical view of that just as I think about it on the fly. Um, I just, I'm struggling to see how do they get there in time? I mean, Blake is what, 28, 29? You're thinking maybe three years before he starts to decline. Like it feels like a really short-sighted um, transition, right, from, from a Van Gundy roster to a, a Dwayne Casey roster, if that's actually the case. But Maybe there's something I'm just missing. Well, you start to see a lot of the Van Gundy contracts run out this year and next year, right? Ish is done after this year. 
Langston and uh, John Luer are done next year or year after this one. Um, Reggie Jackson is done the year after this one. And so while, while I'm not like saying the Pistons are going to sign, you know, Kemba Walker and free agency or anything crazy like that, I think there will be opportunities to uh, revamp the team to uh, add things that the coaching staff and front office agrees need to be added coming up in the next couple of years. Um, Reggie Jackson will make, I think, like 17.8 million in his final, in the final year of his deal or something like that. It might be just 18 flat. Um, and, you know, he's not a completely useless player. And so someone will want, I think, an $18 million expiring contract um, and get a, like a not terrible player in the process. I think that's I think that's something you can move if you just like truly want to. Um, they'll also like they'll have their first round picks um, depending on like what the quality of draftable players are available. They might be able to get guys in the rotation that way. Um Maybe Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown is a guy who his uh, ostensible skill set is, you know, breaking guys down off the dribble using his strength and uh, athletic ability to get all the way to the rim. So, like, his development, I think, will be paramount in that way. Um, and so, like, yeah, there there are opportunities, I think. They will just be – they're just limited numbers, and they will need to be seized. Yeah, I would – I mean, this sort of goes at – I don't want to get too meta, but this goes at the uh... – the mocking John Wall trade proposal I put up on Twitter, which is that this team basically has only a few options. One, you trade a bunch of future valuable assets for a decent player and just salary filler. Two, you trade uh, for a huge bloated contract that you can get for pennies on the dollar. Or three, you basically go status quo. You kind of uh, spend your mid-level exception money and you try and kind of groom young players to inherit roles in the rotation a year down the line or two years down the line. That's pretty much it for Detroit right now. Or I guess you uh, you could go with the uh, see what you can get for Andre Drummond route eventually because maybe you want to trade uh, a surplus of bigs for just a better perimeter threat. But, I mean, that's kind of a dicey proposition. So, I mean, Van Gundy built a pretty locked-in roster. He made it even worse by trading for Blake Griffin. And Blake Griffin's very good, so there's an opportunity to build something around him. But they don't have a lot of fixed flexibility right now to make any moves. So, in some respects, they're kind of stuck in this status quo while they wait for things to sort of evolve over time. One of the reasons I'm a little more zen than a lot of people in the fan base is, one, like, what am, what am I going to do about it? But two, <laughs> when they uh, when they revamped this front office, I was very impressed with what the ways they built sort of very smart, aggressive talent in sort of the analytics and evaluation process. So I feel like they're in a place where if they see a big swing they can make, they'll make it and uh, the the fan base will be happy with the results. It's not just going to be trading for Blake Griffin's giant contract or drafting Henry Ellenson in the first round because he was supposed to be a top 10 player. Like there's some smart people in this front office right now. So I have faith that when an opportunity presents itself, they'll take it. But who knows if an opportunity is actually going to present itself. So the, 
the Pistons play Toronto on Wednesday. That's uh, the only game they play this week. Toronto, when I last checked, is 12-1. and one, And so I really don't think the Pistons are going to win that game. And so, uh, the, <laughs> yeah. And so the the Pistons will be uh, a game under 500 this time next week. Um, there will be a long time. And like Wednesday to Monday is a long time in NBA to, for Dwayne Casey to uh, install some more offense, try some different things, talk to players, um, get solicit some input, um, get guys back. So uh, I think what we'll, we'll, me and Ben talked about, we'll probably end up skipping next week. It'll be one game to recap. That'll be a little weird. Um, if they lose, it'll be an entire week of like, oh, they they lost to Toronto, and and there's no shame in that. But it still kind of sucks that they're under 500. And so, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, this is it's gonna be a it's gonna be a weird week of NBA basketball with just one Piston game on Wednesday. Man. Well, aren't we just gonna spend the whole week trying to figure out if the Pistons should sign Carmelo Anthony? Oh God, don't do this to me. <laughs> There was already like a little mini riot in the uh, in the recap comments over signing Mello. I thought that was hilarious. I will quit. <laughs> I hope you're listening, Tom Gores. I will quit. I mean, they need, to me. they need scores. They need natural born scores who can get their own. They need. Yeah, Why would they sign for Mello Anthony though? <laughs> but he used to. Ten years ago, actually, we could right the wrong well, of the 2003 draft. The narrative writes itself. It's just got to happen. I don't know. Well, if they if they cut Calderon and signed Carmelo, that's actually not terrible. Uh, <laughs> don't call my bluff, Laz. That's how bad it's gotten in uh, in Detroit with with a mere one loss to Charlotte. That's how bad it gets. I will not predict a Toronto win, of course, but I will predict some sort of Jose Calderon uh, renaissance for one game only in Toronto. There's just something special there. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I think every time we play Toronto, my question is how many times is Jonas going to dunk on Drummond? Because Jonas just seems well, to get Jonas Drummond doesn't fits. start anymore, so there will be limited opportunities well, that's for true, that, yeah. which is good. Yeah, maybe they should just for that one. Yeah, game. but then so Siakam shoots threes pretty well now, right? Or no? Yeah, yeah. He shoots well, them. I don't yeah. know if he makes them. He was he terrible last them, yeah. year, but I he's thought, like yeah, I thought he was better this year. But anyway, I would be worried about one of those you know nightmare games where Drummond gets drawn to the three point line and doesn't really know what to do with himself on defense. He he's had problems with that in the past and. That kind of indecisive Drummond is one of my least favorite Drummonds. So that's, that's fair. Yeah. Well, the thing that's scary about Toronto to me is they have athletic bodies to throw out Blake Griffin, and I, I mean, I don't. I, that's not a not necessarily a net positive matchup in the way it is a lot of times because they're going to defend him. What well. scares me about Toronto is the fact they have Kawhi Leonard and we don't. <laughs> that's true. And Kyle true. Lowry. Oh yeah, that guy's pretty good too. And OG <laughs> All right, I think we just did next week, week's podcast right yeah, now. Good, good players it. mean good things. Yeah. When you have a 10-deep rotation of athletic wings and scores and everything else, you tend to have a good team. 
Yeah, when when last year's uh, starting center is your ninth man, you're 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 in pretty good shape. Right. Right. All right. Uh, let's close this out. Uh, ben, what's the best place for people to uh, talk to you? Come talk to me on Twitter. I I sounded dreary today. I don't think all is lost for the Pistons. I'm not as down on them as Sean is. So maybe this week we can chat up some optimism at Br Golker on Twitter. Uh, Sean, you are criminally underfollowed on Twitter. What's what's the best ways for people to reach out to you? I am at Sean underscore Corp, and you can also follow the account at Detroit Bad Boys, where I post all my finest gems. And Sean, settle it for the people. Is is the P a hard P or a soft P? It is pronounced, so it's Corp. Corp. Okay. I will uh, I will do that in your intro next time. My bad. Uh, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at LazChance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will not see you next week because we're only at one game. We're going to lose to Toronto. We'll see you in two weeks. See you.